0: the wars in the Middle East. That is the least of the tra- challenges that we have. The most dangerous challenges that we face are the challenges from within Islam. The most dangerous challenges that we face are f- from within the Muslims, the challenges that Muslims pose to Islam. The degree to which they go in order to trash, for example, the Sunnah of Muhammad even going so far as to say scholarship is not required in Islam. Why should people in Arabic and Usur al-Fiqh and Hadith? Why? Why should they can just read the Quran in English and live according to that? And that would be enough for them. So these are the challenges. And these are the challenges that we may not be aware of. We may not discuss it. But certainly our children go to university and go to school. Somebody was telling me the other day that there was a, they invite children from all the high schools to UCT once a year. And they give these children a topic to discuss. And the topic of discussion this year was, does God exist? So your child who's in matric, <clears throat> he goes to these functions uh, organized by University of Cape Town. And you know the University of Cape Town has a kind of reputation which says that they are the law. And they are the best. And whatever they say, you know, is, uh, is, is, is like the Quran and Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu So our children go there. And children come back totally confused. They don't know what... To do about it, because those people obviously are professors, and these are high school students. So you can imagine the gap between the two. And so, the best answer that I give, very short answer, when parents come to me like that, I say to them, "There's one topic they'll never put on the agenda. Did Muhammad exist? We can't, because Muhammad Sallam existed. The whole world acknowledges that Muhammad Sallam was born." in Mecca and died in Medina and he lived for 63 approximate years and he his whole life is within the ambit of historians he lived in the full light of history and everybody acknowledges that that I won't say, why? because if we admit that Muhammad is not a figment of somebody's imagination that he really existed it means the Quran existed and it means by Logically, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exist because Allah subhanahu wa revealed the Quran to Muhammad. Wa this morning I was just fleetingly looking at one of the books lying on my table, and this book was written by, uh, I always forget his name, uh, the physicist in England who's in a, in a wheelchair. What's his name? Yeah. Mm. Hawkins. And he, he wrote a book in in the 80s uh, called um, uh, Something About Time. can't remember the exact title. A Brief History of Time. He wrote a little book called The Brief History of Time. And he's recognized to be one of the greatest cosmologists and, uh, uh, and uh, authority on... Uh, many, many subjects about the universe and how the universe functions and time and all that kind of thing. Great, great scholar. And uh, I flicked through some of the pages in the book. I'm reading it at the moment. I read it a few years ago and I read it again this morning, in between preparing my khutbah. And one of the things that caught my attention on one of the pages was, he says that, and I smiled to myself and I said, subhanallah. He said, they, they've been discussing these great scientists in England and France and Germany and wherever they are. In the 19th century and 20th century, they were discussing the universe, the stars, uh, black holes, uh, those of you know about it. And he says one of the issues they never discussed and could never come to a decision on was, is the universe expanding or is the universe contracting or is the universe stable? In other words, not contracting, not... Expanding, staying exactly the same. Some said the universe was contracting, but he says nobody ever said the universe was expanding. But I read another three pages after that, and nowhere does it refer to the Quran. Because the Quran is the only book that clearly says, Wa inna Wa inna Allah SWT says, and we have expanded the universe. The universe is an expanding universe. So even in 1980 the, the, the world didn't know that Allah revealed in the Qur'an. if he had just made effort with all his wisdom and brains and intelligence to have read this la You would have found that the creator of the universe says what, I, what is happening to the universe. It's, a, or it's an expansive, it expands or it gets bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. But that's not the topic of our discussion. So today inshallah I'm going to give you brief Analysis very brief because it's a very it's a, it's, a, it's a very wide subject to discuss the Nabisa Allah Sallam and his Hadith, but I want to say state categorically from the beginning that these are challenges. People come and say today, why must you follow the Hadith when there is so much controversy about Ahadith? Why don't we just follow the Quran? It sounds like a plausible argument. Maybe we'll get out of all our problems if we don't. Go to the hadith, but just go to the Quran and study the Quran and live according to the Quran. And disregard the hadith of Muhammad. And disregard the Sunnah of Muhammad. On the surface, sounds like a pretty good idea. Maybe one could do that. You know, maybe it'll solve all our controversies. SubhanAllah. We know that through the centuries, since the coming of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and before him. And we know that Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had referred to the sharia before him, the sharia of Isa, the sharia of Musa, and many of the laws that we have today has been extracted and put into the Quran by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the same laws that were given to Musa and Isa and so forth, like salah for example, like fasting and so forth and so on. And we know as Muslims since 1500 years that our sharia, our way of life, our deen, our belief system, consists of two Indivisible entities and sources. One is called Al-Quran, which was revealed to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And the other was, is the sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I'm not going to rush this, I'm going to inshallah, this is only an introduction this morning. But I'm going to give d- detailed lectures on this inshallah in Ramadan, as part of my other lectures on Ramadan. But talk about revelation. I want to speak to you just about revelation. And to give an insight into revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is what? It's wahi. What is wahi? Wahi is that which Jibreel brought directly from the lawful mahfuz. From Allah. What is the lawful mahfuz? It is the book by Allah in which everything is recorded. And every time Jibreel had to come to Muhammad wa sallam, Allah told him to take that verse, or take that ayah, take that surah. Sometimes all surahs came, sometimes only verses came. And he would bring it to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We know the first one was Iqra. But that was not the only way that Allah communicated with the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Very important point. i I'm Repeat. It was not the only way in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala communicated with the Nabi. Let me say, we thought that the only revelation was the Quran. No, there are other ways. I'm not saying there's more revelation. I'm saying there are many ways in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know that. I'll give you an example from the Quran. The Nabi, alayhi wa sallam, when he was in Makkah, he was commanded to make salah by Allah. Two rakas in the morning, two rakas in the evening. We know that. And what was his Qibla? To where did he pray? To which Qibla did he pray? Not Palestine, Jerusalem. Palestine is a very big country, my brother. You must be very specific. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam prayed toward Jerusalem. Where was he praying when he prayed in Makkah? In the Haram. Correct? He was praying in the Haram. But where was his Qibla? He wasn't praying towards the Kaaba. Where was he praying towards? He was praying towards Jerusalem. When he came to Medina, the Nabi sallallahu always had this wish, Ya Allah, please, don't want to change the Qibla? In his mind, to so look up in the sky and you to <laughs> say, Ya Allah, you know, not verbal, and I said this in the Quran, you know. You say, Ya Allah, you know, belongs to turn towards Makkah. See, eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Qibla. فَوَلُّوا Ayah came, Muhammad sallallahu From today you can turn, I know, Allah says, I know what you want, Muhammad sallallahu I know what you want. You want to turn towards Makkah. Today I'm give, granting you a wish. Turn towards Makkah. And the Sahaba were so elated, they were in Salah at Majlul Qiblatain. And the Wahai came and the message came and they turned from facing Majlul Aqsa and they turned facing the Kaaba. Now, the question arises. There is nowhere in the Quran where Allah says, O oh Muhammad, in Makkah you must pray towards Majd al-Aqsa Aqsa. There is no reference in the Quran to say, O oh Muhammad, I've made two rakats in the morning for you to make salah before the five times salah became followed. Because remember, salah only became followed where? In Medina. Not in Makkah. So there's no reference in the Quran at all about al Aqsa or Baytul Muqaddas. So where did the Nabi Sallam get that message from? After all, he wanted to pray towards where? He wanted to pray towards the Kaaba from day one. But he prayed towards al Aqsa. Yet there's no reference in the Qur'an where Allah says, pray to what majlaks? So where did that information come from? It means that there were other means by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala communicated with the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Any other examples? I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala communicated with Nabi Ibrahim through what? To slaughter his son. Through the revelation? How? Two, three. So there are many ways in which Allah so if somebody says it is not in the Quran it doesn't mean that Allah Subhanahu didn't send a message to the Nabi Sallallahu wa by some other means And that is why Allah Subhanahu tells us in the Quran about Muhammad's words What does Allah say in wahyun yuha Allah says Muhammad doesn't speak from himself he speaks from revelation but now you will say but now the Qibla of Bajrul Aqsa is not in the Quran so what do we say there are many ways in which Allah Taala communicated with the Nabi wasallam. very important inshallah in my lectures in Ramadan I will expand on that but just uh, two examples from the Quran or Allah Taala communicates with the Anbiya alayhim assalatu wassalam and of course on the Mi'raj Allah spoke directly to the Nabi sallallahu alayhim bila wasita without any medium or intermediary in between, we know that so that's also where Allah spoke to the Nabi and the Anbiya alayhim assalatu wassalam so today we find the skepticism Doubt. Doubt about what? Doubt of the attitude of Muslims and non-Muslims towards the Sunnah of Muhammad Some of them reject the entire corpus of hadith. Others reject some hadith. Others say hadith are weak and so forth and so on. And most of the people who make these statements are people who do not know any Arabic. Most of these people are people who read where? Wikipedia. Hmm? The first thing, the first port of call is Wikipedia. And what is Wikipedia? Wikipedia is what I wrote, write, and you write, and somebody else writes, and you want to add something. Wikipedia says there at the bottom, you want to add something to this discussion? Please go ahead. If you want to put something in here, please go ahead. So today, the demand of the time is for us to produce scholars who know the classical laws of the Qur'an, who know, first of all, the language of Arabic, very important, have studied their hadith, not by themselves, by reading books, there's no such thing as learning from reading books. If that was so, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have sent, no, Jibreel, just a book to Muhammad sallallahu you to just send a book to him, or inspired him with a book, why send Jibril? Why give him a teacher to teach about the Udu, teach about the Maqsala? Because that is the methodology that the whole of Islam is based upon. This Islam is not based on a book. Of course, the Quran is now there. But initially, it wasn't written down, there was no book. How did the Sahaba know what happened? They memorized the Quran. And why did they memorize the Qur'an? Because we know the Qur'an was written down by instruction of the Nabi ﷺ during his lifetime. But that was merely for recording purposes. There is no incident in the time of the Nabi ﷺ where a sahabi sat with a the Qur'an in his hand reading it. Why not? Why didn't they make copies of the Qur'an during the time of the Nabi ﷺ? In Medina, Muslims became more and more. No. Why? Because the Quran was taught by one Sahabi to the other Sahabi from what he heard from the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Memory. Our modern systems of education which comes from the West have trashed memory. They don't rely on memory. They say, oh, people go, you know, in the madrasas Madresas, they, they, they learn by rote, by memorization. But it's the best form of secure knowledge. And we know that today. The internet teaches us that. I've just mentioned Wikipedia. People can write anything. They can change anything. They can write even a hadith and put at the bottom Bukhari and Muslim meanwhile, it's it's a lie. But what cannot be lies? Cannot be lies that which is transferred by sincere, honest, dedicated Muslims from one person to the next person. And especially in matters of deen. And you'll find the best ulama in the world. Of the past and the present are those who memorize most of the things that they learned. I wish I would memorized more than what I know. More, I, 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 I wish I relied less on books. Because with books you have to go from one book to the other book and make sure that the guy who wrote the first book really wrote the right thing in the first book. That he quoted the hadith properly in the first book. Doesn't matter if it's an Arabic book. I've read so many Arabic books, hadith are misquoted. Even Quranic ayah misquoted. But when you memorize the verse, immediately you can recognize that this verse or this ayah is not, it hasn't been written properly. So our children, our young people today, because they lack critical knowledge, they all become doubtful of ahadith. They become doubtful of did the Prophet ﷺ really say this? Were these the words of Muhammad? ﷺ? And I've I've read quite extensively in the last two weeks all the opinions of those who reject the hadith of the Wasallam and say we should rely only in the Quran that they've gone far astray from the deen. Far astray from the deen. What they're in fact saying is that, they've opened a new door. What is this door? This door is called, translation of the Quran in English. We have to understand that the translation of the Quran is not the Quran. N-O-T. In big, big, big letters. It's not the Quran. It is a translation of the Quran in a language which we understand, a spoken language, but it's not the Quran. You can't quote the English verse of the Quran and say, Allah says, O oh, you people who believe. Allah never said, O oh, you people who believe. Where did Allah say, O oh, people who believe? Allah SWT says, Ya ayyuhallaveena amanu. Which has an entirely different meaning from, O oh, you people who believe. Because, O oh, you people who believe in what? The word iman is not their belief. There's no re- reference to iman, but Allah says, "Ya ulul amanu." In the word amanu is the word iman. And what is iman? Iman is not to believe in God in Islam. Iman is to believe in Allah as the One and to believe in Muhammad sallallahu wa alaihi wasallam as the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa taala. So, oh you people who believe Allah didn't say that. That is just a convenient way of us So remember. It's very dangerous when somebody comes to you and says, Yeah, but Allah says in the Qur'an, verse so and so, and verse so and so says so and so, and so and so, and he quotes it to you in English. And you say, really? I say, yeah. Like, and I'll, I'll quote to you what they quote from the Qur'an. So what happens is, if we then say that we should read the English Qur'an and live according to the English Qur'an, That means that everybody will interpret the Qur'an the way he reads the English language, isn't it so? See, if I see a word in the English language, in other words, subhanallah, what will happen? The Qur'an will be lost and distorted forever. Lost, distorted, completely. So we're caught in between ourselves. We're really caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, subhanallah. That's whole ummah we don't understand Arabic and we read our our book in English and we think that is our book. illallah. That's where we are. That's where we are, where we are. And those of us who read the Quran in Arabic don't know what we're reading. It's very serious business, my dear brothers. That's why where we are, where we are. We're not producing the scholars that we're supposed to produce as an ummah. We spend millions and millions and millions of rands and we take out policies for our children to go to UZT and UWC and Oxford and Cambridge and, and we're very proud of them when they get graduate there. How much money have you spent for, to, to... How much money have you saved to send your children to learn the deen of Allah? And I'm not saying send the child away, I'm saying... It, I mean, how many Muslim fathers here who have seen it? Just to learn Arabic, man. That's a false kifaya. For every Muslim to at least know the Arabic language, for him to understand the Qur'an of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So again, I repeat and I say to you that the arguments of those who say, but it's the Qur'an, we follow the Qur'an. Again, I say it's not the Qur'an which they follow. It's the English translation of the Qur'an, not the Qur'an. I must also tell you that these groups and individuals have been with us throughout history. People who reject the sunnah of Muhammad People who reject the hadith of the Nabi But they've always been dealt heavy blows. And the one, the person who dealt them the heaviest blow was Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah. Imam Shafi'i wrote his book, Al-Risala. It is the first book on Islamic jurisprudence written in the history of Islam. And it deals with a subject of the authenticity and authority of the Sunnah two words. It deals with the authority of the Sunnah and deals with the authenticity of the Sunnah. And so these groups have alhamdulillah Allah given us great scholars, scholars Abu Hanifa, Shafi'i and so forth and so on, great scholars. We have defended this deen against these onslaughts. And the worry of course is where are the scholars today? We have this group in Cape Town, and they call themselves. This is this is this is the 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 the, the word that they use to describe themselves. They call themselves the quraniyun al quraniyun What does quraniyun mean? It means they are Quran only people. On the surface, it sounds good. Quran, and you know, the man talks about Quran. How could you go against it? But he, he's still talking about the Quran. He's talking about the English translation. Yeah, he, he doesn't know I live from Ba. But he's got a doctorate from UCT in medicine or pharmacy, or he's got a doctorate in philosophy. Or he's uh, some brainy guy who sits in a, in a corporate office the whole day, can speak very high eyeful English and earns a big salary. So if he is now, he's also now something al Yun. this is their modern name. They used to call themselves in the past Al-Qur'an, people of the Qur'an, and so forth and so on. Their first argument is that we don't need the Hadith. Why not? Because the Qur'an explains everything. Secondly, they say, the Hadiths were fabricated and written down only 300 years after the death of the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Listen carefully. What is the first argument? First argument is that the Quran speaks about everything. Everything is in the Quran. So people say everything is in the Quran. Everything being an English word, and Quran being in the English translation of the Quran, which they've read, and they quote two verses to support the argument. The first verse is in Surah Al-An'am. Which is the 6th surah, verse 38. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا فَرَّطْنَا fil kitab min Shay." Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We have not left out anything from this book. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? We have not left out anything from this book. So they say, see, Allah says everything is in the Quran. Allah says we haven't left out anything from the Quran. So they come to you and they say, You read Surah Al-An'am. they show you in English translation, see what Allah says. We have not left out anything from this Quran. So you say, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really? Which means everything is in the Quran. Yeah, but Allah says so. They come to your son at university and they say, see, there's the verse, there, read it yourself. Allah says, everything is in the Quran. The second verse, they quote is Surah An-Nahl, 16th Surah, verse 89. Allah SWT says, These are the arguments of those who reject hadith and sunnah. وَنَزَّلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الكتاب لكل شيء. So they take you to Surah An-Nahl, 16th Surah, verse 89, and they quote the verse. And what does the verse say? We have sent down to you, O Muhammad, the book explaining all things. Again, they show you see. See Allah says, We have sent down the book explaining all things. We've not left out anything from the Quran. So why do we need anything else? They say to you. So what you go, now you lie in bed, You're a young person, even an older person, you don't know the arguments. The important thing is our children do not have the critical knowledge to answer these questions. And that is why when I give lectures and I plead for you people to come to it, then you refuse or you refrain to come. Not from me, I'm not teaching you what I know. But I'm going to be dead tomorrow. As sure as as day follows night and night follows day, it could be now, I could fall dead now, tomorrow... And I will die with all the knowledge I have, unfortunately. And so you, with the knowledge that you have, you can be whoever you are, but if you fall dead tomorrow, your knowledge goes with you. Be the greatest scientist, the greatest... But at least in Islam we have this modality and methodology of transferring the knowledge of the deen to others. But it's a two-way street. If I transfer, then you must be there to accept. And if you don't, we will not have, You will not have the answers. Your children will not have the answers. They will ask you, Daddy, Allah says so in the Quran, what do you say? My friend says, everything is the Quran, I mustn't go to the hadith. And he quoted me the verse, and he said, go, go there. Now what will your daddy say to you? Allah didn't say so, but Allah says so. So now what? Creates doubt. First of all, both these verses, Surah Al-Nahl and Surah Al-An'am were revealed in Makkah. That's number one. You don't know that, you see. doesn't say there. doesn't say when this verse. So both these verses were revealed when? In Makkah. Most of the Quran were revealed where? In Medina. So if Allah said in Makkah when the Qur'an was only a third revealed, only one third of the book was revealed, we have not left anything out from this book, which book was Allah referring to? If Allah meant that everything in this book, these verses should have been revealed when? The end. Should be been the last verses to be revealed. The last verse in the Qur'an should have been revealed to say what? We have not left anything out from this book, isn't it so? So, what does this mean then? Allah said, right at the beginning of revelation, we have not left anything out from this book. Ibn Jawzi, one of the great scholars, Hanbali scholars. He says that everything and anything that Allah refers to, is that Allah has made everything clear in the Qur'an. Either by a clear text, or a statement, or a statement where the details are left to the Nabi Wasallam. To teach us or an indication of what we should do and the details left to the Nabi. Wa I'll give you a very simple example, a straightforward example. The reading of the Quran with tajweed. Is that in the Quran? Where does Allah, Allah say in the Quran you should read the Quran with tajweed? No way. Quran تَرْتِيلًا So where does all these intricate rules of tajweed and reading the Quran correctly come from? It was the way that Jibreel read the Quran to the Nabi Salam. The Nabi memorized it exactly as he heard it from Jibreel ﷺ. And the rules and regulations of reading the Quran was then transferred out. How? In book form, no. In memorization form, Prophet Jibreel read, Muhammad memorized, Muhammad read again to the Sahaba, they memorized. So right from Allah, down to us today, we read the Quran as it was revealed to Muhammad ﷺ at Jibreel That jibreel was never written down anywhere. In fact, the earliest copies of the quran that we know contain no diacritical marks what is the diacritical mark it doesn't contain any fathas or kasras or dots or anything like that just lines and you will be surprised to know that the first quran that was collated the first quran that said uthman Radiallahu Anhu make copies of to send to the seven centers, Muslim centers at the time, said, Now expressly and purposefully left out all the diacritical marks, meaning Fathas and Kasras, and so forth and so on. So that it would not be possible for anybody to pick up the Quran and read it by himself. But this is strange. He specifically made a copy of the Quran so nobody could read it. But this is strange. Why? Because he wanted every Muslim to have a teacher to teach him how to read the Quran in the proper way, as it was given by Jibril to Muhammad. <laughs> and then handed on to the Sahaba Ali Meticulousness, love of Allah, love of the Quran. Nothing. There must be. There must be nothing that casts any reflection upon the Quran of Allah Subhanahu That was the mission of Muhammad Sallallahu and the Sahaba Alayhim As-Salatu Was-Salam. Tawaf, I mean, just another example. Allah speaks about tawaf in the Quran, but no way does Allah say, must make seven times tawaf around the Baytullah. Neither does Allah say, must go in the anti direction. Neither is there anything about touching the Hajj al-Aswad. And so forth and so on. All these matters were left to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa In fact, the two verses which I quoted from Surah nahal and Surah anam where Allah says He left nothing out of the Qur'an, everything is in the Qur'an. The following verse, if that is true, then the verse I'm going to quote to you now contradicts the two verses which they quote from the Holy Qur'an. Of course, there are no contradiction in the Qur'an. Allah Ta'ala says again, Surah nahal verse 44, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَةِ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we have, so in the what do they say? They say that everything is in the Quran, we don't have to go anywhere else. Just read the English translation of Yusuf Ali and you're you fine, you're on your way. But what does Allah say? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذكرة. And we have sent down to you, O Muhammad sallallahu the dhikr, the Qur'an, the remembrance. Why? لِتُبَيِّنَ So that you may explain to, to mankind. Not to Muslims. So you may explain to mankind, ما نُزِلَ إليهم What was revealed to them. What does the first two verses say? Everything. Allah has put everything in the Qur'an. But yet, Allah says, But Muhammad, we've asked, we've sent you to explain to people the Qur'an. Which means there are many things which was left to the explanation of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. sallam. In Allah swanahu alayhi wa sallam, 21st surah verse 7, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Allah says, and ask those who know the book, who know the dhikr, who have knowledge, إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you don't know. Why didn't Allah just say, go to the Qur'an if you don't know? Allah says, no, no, don't go to the Qur'an. Allah says, Fas'alu Ask the people with knowledge. Ask the people who know the Qur'an. Ask them if you don't know. And therefore, and therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and who was the person par excellence knowing the Qur'an? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. par excellence. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, of course, the famous verse in Surah al hashr verse 59, Surah 59, verse 7, Allah says, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوا وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنُّ فَانْتَهُ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ Allah says, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوا And whatever Muhammad gives you, take it. وَمَا, مَا, مَا means, مَا is... An all-inclusive generalization and Allah says, whatever Muhammad gives you, فخدو, take it. فأنت, whatever he forbids you from, stay away from it. Allah could have said and what Allah, Allah gives you and what, whatever Allah gives you, take it and whatever Allah prov- prohibits you, don't go near it or don't do it, no. Allah doesn't say what Allah says, and what Allah is giving. مَا rasool. Whatever the Prophet gives you, take it. And whatever he prohibits you from, don't take it. Why did Allah say that? Why didn't Allah say, what I give you, take it. What I give you, and what I prohibit you. Because we know that is standard. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to implant in the minds of the Muslim. That everything Muhammad said and did was in compliance with Allah's law, was in compliance with Allah's intention, was in compliance with Allah's pleased with. So, how can we reject the hadith of Muhammad sallallahu wa or the sunnah of Muhammad? Sallallahu wa the second argument that those who reject hadith, the Quran, Qur'aniyun, these new spirited intellectuals. With their masters and doctorate degrees and their big salaries and their understanding of the, Arab, of the English language, and they now feel they are all now become prophets, all these intellectuals. <laughs> they say, Hadith? People only wrote it down 300 years after the Nabi. For how authentic can it be? Let's look at the statement. And I'm not going to go into the details of that the Prophet first said don't write down hadith, then he said write down hadith, and people couldn't write, and people memorized them. I've said something about memorization, which is the best form of transference of knowledge, and we know that. Let's look at the Prophet himself, and the people that surrounded him. The Prophet wasallam, Muhammad wasallam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad Changed the world in 23 years The whole world changed It took him 23 years to change the entire world 23 years His enemies, never mind his friends, never mind the companions His enemies watched him continuously 24-7 His every move was watched by them they listened to every word that he said. They asked every kind of question that they could ask of him, Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Jews and the Christians. Jews, the Christians came from Najran. He put them up in the mosque. They asked him about Jesus and all the, Asked specific questions. The Jews came and asked him so many questions. So Muhammad sallallahu was under a microscope from the day he declared, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي those who are by his enemies, subhanAllah, what about his friends? What about Abu Bakr? What about Omar, Uthman, and Ali? Imagine how they must have held on to every single word of Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And after his death, a lot of details in between of course. And after his death... These sahaba were so spirited, they loved him so much, they were so inspired with the Quran, that they took on the two greatest powers of the day, the Romans and the Persians. And they defeated both these these great powers. Like today we will say, we'll take on America and Russia. And you know, almost at the same time, they took on the Persian Empire, they took on the Roman Empire. And they smashed both to pieces. Subhanallah. And the companions, subhanAllah, they sacrificed everything they possessed for the deen of Allah. subhanahu The highest thing they sacrificed was their lives. They gave their lives for Muhammad. Sal-salam. How is it possible that these people who would die for him didn't write down or memorize and transfer? The words of Muhammad sallam, meticulously, from one person to the next person and from one generation to the next generation. How can, we, how can we even think that he wouldn't have done that? And how was he done? Because every word of the Nabi, Ali sallam, became public <coughs> property. Not, not only did they memorize that, but every Muslim in Medina, in the world, wherever the Sahaba went, made the Qur'an and the words of the Alaihi Wasallam their own property, that they owned. And of course, if you own something, you make it your own property, you zealously guard it. And they jealously guarded the heritage of the Hadith and Sunnah of Muhammad So much so that Abdullah ibn Abba, uh, uh, that Abdullah Ibn Umar, the son of Sayyidina Umar, Ibn Khattab, one day he was walking and with a Sahabi, and suddenly he, there was a tree there, and he made a detour and he went around the tree, and he met with a Sahabi, again. Sahabi said, what's wrong with you? Why are you we're walking and I'm talking to you, and you suddenly make a detour and you walk around the tree? He said, because I saw the Nabi, a.s. walk around the tree when he walked in this path. Imagine how particular that wasn't part of the sunnah. But in, that is how they watched the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa and how they transferred that knowledge from generation from, to from, from generation to generation. The first book that was written on a hadith in a book form. Many hadith written in many forms. The Sahaba used to write on a hadith by the hundreds. I mean, that's another lecture on its own. But the first com- book that was compiled was a book called the Muwatta by Imam Malik. Rahimahullah. Imam Malik wrote his Muwatta about a hundred years after the death of the Nabi, he lived in Medina, where the Nabi spent the last ten years. So he lived in the community which had passed on the hadith from the Nabi, from generation to until he came and he wrote it down. And Imam Malik taught this hadith in the Madinah Nabawi he, he had his class in the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ where he taught his the hadith of the Nabi. Not a single person objected to his teaching, nor to a single hadith which he quoted from the Nabi ﷺ. These were Muslims who prepared to give their life for the Nabi I think if Imam Malik had quoted one hadith wrongly, or did anything wrong in terms of the hadith of the Nabi wa sallam, he wouldn't have lasted a single day so there was a lot of love so this re- recording of the hadith of the nabi sallam was something which was took pride of place amongst muslims even today look at the pride of place that the quran takes amongst us and the memorization of the quran and it was given to muhammad sallam 1500 years ago and it's unchanged until until today So those who reject hadith, not only reject the authenticity of the hadith. Meaning they say, oh hadith is, you know, so many people, so many chains. They also reject the authority of the hadith. Meaning the authority of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's like if I say to you, "Is there's a town in China called Beijing. You don't believe me, I'm sure you don't believe me. I hope you believe everything I said before this. And, I, and, and you will believe me and I will believe anybody who says to you that Beijing is in, is the capital of, of China. Even if you've never seen it. But why do you believe it? Because so many people have come to tell you that Beijing is in China. Hundreds of thousands or just in your own circle. It would be impossible for anybody to make up such a lie. Impossible for people to come together and say let's all agree that Beijing we know Beijing is in, in New York, but let's tell the world that it's way in China. That's a lie, isn't it? Is that possible? Not possible. Because too many people know that Beijing is in China. Similarly with a hadith mutawatir. A mutawatir hadith is a hadith which was narrated by many people from the mouth of the Nabi salam up to today. Memorized by many people. For example, when the Prophet ﷺ said, la on on, uh, He was standing in the... Uh, in, uh, in, in Mecca and he said to the sahaba when they, when, when they all gathered to perform the first tawaf and he said take from me the rights of hajj for I will not know whether I will be with you again next year hundreds of thousands reported that hadith from the Nabi sallallahu Alaihi it's called a mutawatir hadith but listen carefully what I'm going to say to you now So how was the hadith, the mutawatir hadith, which is both authentic and authoritative? How was it related from the Nabisallam? By who was it narrated, first of all? Who heard it from the Prophet? Who heard it? The Sahaba. Companions of the Nabi Sallallahu. Wa and they transmitted it to who? To us. Please over long period of time. And the Quran, who did the Prophet narrate the Quran? Who did he read the Quran to? To who? To the same Sahaba he gave the Hadith. Isn't it? The same Sahaba, the same people that transmitted his Hadith from him to us, those very same people transmitted orally the Qur'an from the Prophet ﷺ to us. So if you deny the hadith, you must also deny the Qur'an. So if you say that the words were not given by the Nabi ﷺ, by Omar and Abu Bakr and Uthman and Ali, then you also say that the Qur'an also, you have, your argument is exactly the same. Because it's exactly the same people. That gave us a hadith of Sunnah, exactly the same people that gave, gave us the Quran. So if you reject the hadith, automatically you also reject the Quran. So what are you? I'm saying these to you, words to you, and I talk to you. Remember? Allah has given you a mind and a brain to understand, and it's for you to weigh the arguments and more importantly, for you to transfer those arguments which, which make sense to you. So there are many questions that those who reject Hadith has to answer for. First of all, the first question is the Quran was given the same way as the Hadith if you reject Hadith you have to reject the Quran No two ways about it the Quran doesn't say, they say the Quran says everything the Quran doesn't say that there's four accounts for dhuhr and three for maghrib the Quran doesn't say how much zakah you pay on gold and how much you pay on, how much silver you pay it on the Quran doesn't say two and a half percent. You must pay in zakah, and so forth and so on. Many questions have been left. Li tu bayyina li nas <laughs> ma nuzila Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says many things of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We have given only indications in the Quran. We've made statements in the Quran, but the tibyan, the explanation. Must come from Muhammad. So if somebody says, We only follow the Quran, that somebody would be a disbeliever. Why would he be a disbeliever? Because for him, Muhammad ﷺ would not be a messenger. He would be just a pipe through which the Quran came from the one side to the other side. And what do we say? an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu Anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. We don't just say an la ilaha illallah, full stop. So if you say follow only the Quran, you must only say Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, full stop. Because you don't accept the authority nor the authenticity of the Ahadith of Muhammad You don't admit that he was a messenger of Allah, not just a pipeline through which he was a messenger. He was given the message and he was given the authority to explain the message to us. In fact, if you were a person who would only follow the Qur'an... And you read the Qur'an from cover to cover. And you try to find out from the Qur'an how many salah you make every day. And how many raka'at you should make every day. Purely just by reading the Qur'an. Because you, you, Of course you don't follow the sunnah nor the uh, a hadith of the Nabi You would come to the conclusion that you should play only one rakah every day. How that rakah should be performed, Allah doesn't say. So, whether you're going to f- lie flat on the ground or kneel with your one, because the Quran doesn't say put both knees on the ground. So you could kneel down and just put your one knee, for example, on the ground. And residents you must make two sujuts, you can only make one sujood it doesn't say what you must say. It doesn't say you the Fatiha. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't talk about there must be an Imam in a masjid. Quran doesn't talk about that. Salatul Jamaat. Quran doesn't talk about that. So, doesn't say you must make adhan. There's no way in the Quran it says make adhan before you make salah. No such thing. Or Iqama. So, where, where, would, you, where would you, as a rejector of a hadith and sunnah of the wasallam? where would you get all this information from? And if you only make one rakah every day, you are going to Jahannam. Because somebody who made less than that is in Jahannam. I went to Jummah last week and I listened to the Imam and he, he told a nice story which I want the end of with about Salah, because we're talking about Salah. <clears throat> he says this man was a he was a very big sinner and he committed a lot of sin and he blamed Shaitan for all his sins. And he one day said, Ya Allah, I'd like to be Shaitan. So Allah says, Okay, I'll meet Shaitan. So he meets Shaitan. So he says to Shaitan, You are the, you the guy. You, you, you know, you the cause of all my troubles. All the wrong I've done all the time, you the guy. But you look such a good person. You look like a nice guy. I mean, you know, of course, he was in the form of a human being. He looked like a, quite a nice guy. So Shaitan said, Yeah. What do you want from me? He says, man, don't you want to, can I accompany you for the day? Can I, you know, I'll go around with you and see what you do for the whole day? So Shaitan said to him, fine, you can go with me. I don't mind. You can tag along, you know. So he tags along with Shaitan the whole day. Come in shy time. After he shy, he says to Shaitan, man, you know, you, I did nothing wrong today. You didn't teach me anything wrong, you know. I mean, you haven't misled me, you, nothing, you know. You've been quite a good Shaitan today. And... Um, you know, so I'm going to invite you for a meal. You know, come home for a meal. You know, come and have come and have a meal with me. So Shaitan says okay. So he goes home and he tells his wife, you know, got a customer, we got a friend. You know, put the food on the table, wipe dishes up, and he says, "Shaitan, Bismillah." You know, says Shaitan, no, have some. Shaitan says no. Shaitan says no, I don't eat with Shaitan. <laughs> so, so he says, but this is strange. You are Shaitan. What are you saying now? You're saying, I'm shaitan. But I'm not shaitan. You are shaitan. Shaitan says, no, no. I don't eat shaitan. This is well, explain yourself. He says, you know, he says, you know why I'm shaitan? Do you know why I'm shaitan? You know I'm in bliss? You know why I'm in bliss? Why I'm shaitan? He says, I met you this morning. You didn't make door. I was watching you. You didn't make asr. You didn't make maghrib. And you didn't make Aishai. And you know I, why I'm called Iblis in Shaitan? Because I refuse just to make one sujood. You've missed so many sujood for Dhuhr, so many for Asr, so many for Maghrib, so many for Isha. Who's Shaitan now? I became Shaitan, I missed just one, one, I just missed. Subhanallah, if I just made one sujood, I would have still been the, the what? The chief of the angels in heaven. Subhanallah. So, and where do we get the salah from? It was a gift given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala straight to the Prophet. And who told us four rakas for door and three, four for asr, and so forth and so on? It was given to us by Muhammad. And that knowledge, and where did the Nabi make his salah? In Majidun Nabi. Where how many people prayed behind him? Thousands upon thousands. And they brought it and gave it to us. Subhanallah. So, if people come with the arguments, and this is rife, you may not understand our rife disease. You'll pick this up all over the place. Well, oh, hadith is weak, you know, this one says that, that one says this, only follow the Quran. May Allah protect us, inshaAllah. May Allah make us of the lovers of the Quran and followers of the Sunnah of Muhammad. Wallahu ta'ala, alam, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.